G'day and welcome to Australia's favourite obsession, property. My name is Jeremy Cowan, and this is a quick hits episode where today we're going to take a crash course in all things credit cycles. Now I'll be back next week with another full episode talking with Brendan Condon, the environmental developer, about his Cape Patterson Echo Village. But today we're talking credit. Now I think we need to timestamp this episode. It's Friday, October the 2nd, 2020, and we're just a few days out from our 2020 Aussie budget. And everything that we're going to talk about is within the context of the cycle. Now, Australia had some really big news last week when Josh Frydenberg made the astounding announcement that we are going to dump the bank's responsible lending obligations with the aim of being promoting access to easier credit for individuals and small businesses. Now, Josh went on to say this is not about the banks, it's about the consumer. What a great line that the vast majority of Australians will benefit from improved access to credit. Now, this stuff is classic credit cycle 101. It's straight out of the playbook. See, most people naively believe that the credit cycle is all based around interest rates. But that's only half the story. It's actually the ability of borrowers to get hold of the cash that really counts. It's about how borrowers are being assessed. See, getting hold of the cash recently has been really, really hard. In fact, I've heard of situations where people have been um, denied applications for having too many cats or showing small transactions to and from their sports betting accounts. Credit's been really hard to get over the last few years, pretty much since 2009. Now, there have been some times when it has eased, but genuinely, applicants have been under the blowtorch of scrutiny. So what we need to do is go back and have a look and a think about how we've got to where we are with Josh Frydenberg winding back these requirements. Now, in 2009, the National Consumer Credit Protection Act was passed, and it contains two separate but interlinked responsible lending obligations for lenders when assessing consumer credit applications. The first one is that it requires the bank or the lending institution to make reasonable inquiries about the applicant's requirements, their objectives, and reasonable inquiries and verifications about their financial situation. And the second requirement is that they do not enter into a credit contract that is unsuitable for that applicant. Now, clearly, this puts a huge onus of responsibility directly on the banks. But the NCCP, or the National Consumer Credit Protection Act, also provides a quite a nice little neat timing point from a cyclical point of view, as in it was passed in 2009. Now, part of the reason that this act did come to fruition was because they wanted to stop immediately and as quickly as they could to protect consumers from the situation like Storm Financial, where the banks in cahoots with financial advisors were extending credit to clients that clearly could not afford these um, uh, to repay these funds. We had situations where people in retirement were double gearing their houses uh, into uh, speculative uh, shares, which is just ridiculous and just absolutely wrong. But this is what happens at the end of the cycle, that we see that credit is so free-flowing and so available, and we'll get to that point about where we'll get to at the end of this cycle a little bit later in this podcast. 
But if we remember back to 2009 and we think about the property market, you'll remember that the Australian banks and our economy generally as a whole, we dodged the GFC bullet, didn't we? Our imported Chinese shield protected us and we were able to navigate our way through um, what was a world banking crisis. Now, the ironic thing about all of this is that We dodged in Australia that GFC decline um, from a property point of view. Our banks with their uh, very resilient balance sheets were able to hold up because, of course, land prices held up. But around 2013, 2014, remember all that talk that we had about a housing bubble, that we were in a housing bubble and it was going to burst. And of course, we spent a lot of time in our Count and Flack Investment Club meetings um, every time that we got up and talked and we spoke about the requirements, um, you know, 2014, those app regulation requirements that came down on the banks. You will need to probably cast your mind back, but remember that APRA did put in regulations that interest-only home loans for a bank could only be 30% of the bank's new mortgages and that there was a 10% annual growth cap on lending to property investors. So the idea was that APRA was trying to decline the rate at which banks were extending credit. They were trying to slow down the credit growth because they were very concerned about a housing bubble. But what was even harsher was the implied assessment rates that the banks now had to use. It was one that was over 7%. So the idea being that they had to work out, being they, the banks, had to work out if a borrower could afford to borrow the funds at an assessment rate of not what the market rate of what they were going to lend the funds at, but rather around 7%. Now, this, of course, was the idea that that the banks were meant to be stress testing the borrowers to ensure that they weren't extending credit in situations where it wasn't going to be repaid. There was also the further requirement of the banks that they actually looked at borrowers' uh, spending habits, that they couldn't just put them through a matrix and decide what, what their expenditure was going to be, but they actually had to look and see what people were actually spending. Now, this ensured that there was a constriction on the growth of the credit books, and we said at the time this wasn't something to be concerned about, but it was also something that couldn't be sustained forever, that these restrictions had to be lifted at some point, and that credit had to become much more free-flowing. Now, if we continue to move on, we then came across the Banking Royal Commission, which created even more havoc for the banks. Here we heard horrific stories of uh, you know, predatory lending practices. Um, of course, all the, the terrible laundry was aired um, by Commissioner Haynes, and of course, the public was horrified. And pretty much Commissioner Haynes re-established that the responsible lending requirements were here to stay for the banks. That was, of course with um, also the introduction of another 76 findings that came out of the the, uh, the Royal Commission. Recently, we've had Westpac's Wagyu and Shiraz case, where ASIC has taken Westpac to court over their responsible lending requirements, saying that some of their interest-only mortgages did not take into account the borrower's real living expenses in assessing the suitability of their loans. But Justice Perham took the view that a borrower's living expenses today were not indicative of what the future spending behaviour would be. I may eat Wagyu beef every day and wash it down with the finest Shiraz, he said, but if I really want my new home, I can make do on a much more modest fare. That was part of the judgment that came down in this case. And that started to show the cracks that were starting to appear in the responsible lending obligations of the banks. 
But what Josh Frydenberg announced a week ago will have profound implications for the rest of this cycle. Now, dampening the responsible lending obligations and promoting access, um, easier access to credit for individuals and small businesses is a genie that cannot be put back in the bottle now this cycle. It is now absolutely borrower beware. All the old tricks and shortcuts and consumer manipulations and fraud that occurred last cycle is about to start again, but it'll be on steroids this time. Because remember, this time, we've got new entrants into the cycle. We've got the fintechs, we've got the nanobanks. And although they, like the banks, will approach this laxing of regulations with great intention, competition, advancing technology, increased profit expectations, a change in acceptable lending behavior will ensure that the cycle again ends like it did in 2009. And of course, like 1990 and the early 70s and the mid 50s and the late 20s and yada, yada, yada. Josh said that this is not about the banks. It's about the consumer. But that is absolutely rubbish. Don't get me wrong here, I'm not taking a moral stance here, but history shows us that within the credit cycle is a cycle of banks changing their lending standards from being very difficult where the banks are exceptionally cautious about extending credit to, of course, the easiest of credit times at the end of the cycle, manifesting in another Dubai bust. In episode one of this podcast, I interviewed James Pledge from Knight Frank Valuations, and here's what James had to say on this subject. My observation of of the bank's behaviours during a boom buff cycle is they generally hasn't haven't got it right, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not being critical. It's just how the cycle seemed to roll through yep. large organisations. So at the top of the market where everybody's going gangbusters, sales tends to override credit. Yes, uh, exactly when. Credit should actually be overriding sales. overriding sales, and at the bottom of the market, where the risk of further falls and the risk to, to the banks is probably at its least, mm-hmm. um, credit gets hold of the bank, and you know we're not lending, and we you know yeah. we're we're looking at things a lot deeper than we might at the top of the market. And if you think that through, it's the complete opposite of what should be happening. As I said earlier, what Josh Frydenberg has done is ensure that the second half of the cycle explodes with credit creation, which will, of course, manifest in higher asset prices. That's what has to happen. The bubble will occur. And now it's just a matter of time for these regulations or the laxing of these regulations to manifest into the cycle. So the takeaway from this quick hits is that A, the cycle is absolutely well on its way, and number two, there are huge investment opportunities for us. So please, think about what's happening here. We see this as a major turning point in the cycle, an event that underwrites the second half of the property cycle. So please, think about the investment opportunities that are being presented to you here. We'd love to help you reaching your goals. We're passionate about investing and increasing your wealth and we're genuinely excited about what the future holds. So if you want to know more about the cycle, then please visit countonflack.com forward slash blogs. There's heaps of information there about the cycles. I better leave it here, otherwise I'm going to go on talking all day and all night, and this is meant to be a quick hits episode because the importance of the credit cycle cannot be underestimated. So it's been great having you with me. Please learn about the credit cycle, take advantage of it. And if you enjoyed today's show, make sure you like, 
subscribe and tell your friends about us and join us at Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. You've been listening to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Any opinions, views or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and should be considered general in nature as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. Count & Flack may have a commercial relationship with some guests appearing on this podcast. Your host, Jeremy Cowan and Count & Flack Proprietary Limited are authorised representatives of PGW Financial Services Proprietary Limited, AFSL 384713.